morning we're going to be looking at Zechariah chapter 13 as we continue our series on prophets and promises. The legend goes that Martin Luther, the great reformer from the 16th century, had a plaque made. Whether he made it or someone else made it, the legend says, he carved a certain set of words into it and he hung it by the sink in his room. That's one version of the legend. The legend has it that when he got up and he would wash his face with the water from the sink, he, he would look at that plaque and he would recite these words. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Now that may be true or may not be true, that, that legend. But what we do know is that Luther faced discouragements and temptations. Luther faced anxiety and depression. He walked through big and deep doubt spaces of darkness. And when he doubted God's grace in his life, they say he would say, remember your baptism, but we know for a fact he would say and repeat to himself, I am baptized. I am baptized. Well, this morning, whether you were baptized as an infant or in believer's baptism, sometime later in life, remember your baptism. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to repeat with me a few statements to affirm your baptism. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, then we need to affirm that baptism. And I want to invite you today to affirm your baptism. You don't have to. You're not forced to. But if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, today's a day where we're going to baptize two lovely young women who love Jesus. It's not just their day, it's our day. And it's their day to be part of our day and our day to be part of their day. But I want to invite you to an affirmation. Repeat after me. I am baptized. I am marked I am identified as part of God's family. I am sent as a witness of his grace. And I am baptized. Amen. Amen. There's always something special about a baptism service. Something that helps all of us touch what really matters when it comes to our faith. There's something about baptism that strips it down. So often we crowd the Christian faith. Hear me clearly now. We crowd the Christian faith with temporal expendables at the expense of losing the intangible eternals. We begin to believe that the latest crisis or the loudest voices, or the political moment, or the attractive externals, or the endearing emotions, or all the things that make up the life of faith. 
Well, today we turn to a prophet, Zechariah, whose name means the Lord remembers. How appropriate for a day when we remember our baptism, when we remember what really matters, when we strip it away and we let the water of baptism speak to us. We have something very much so in common with the people of Zechariah's day. The prophet stands in this long line of prophets that we've been walking with all through the summer. He is a voice that is speaking into the fierce winds of the times that he lived in to a people who were formed more by their culture than by their God. More shaped by the convenient than by faithfulness, which required sacrifice. More shaped by making God in their image rather than being shaped and formed in Yahweh's image, in the Lord's image. We have an awful lot in common with those people. But by the time we get to chapter 13 in Zechariah, the prophet has warned the people of their excess in indulging in the cultural menu that's been placed before them and their departure from that which is true. But the prophet doesn't leave them there. In fact, in chapter 12, an amazing word from the Lord is given. In chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 10, we read, The Lord stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth. Get this. The Lord who forms the human spirit within a person. That Lord declares, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And then you see it. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. It's like Zechariah had been hanging around Isaiah. And if you remember in Isaiah chapter 53, we get this incredible portrait, this picture. 700 years before the crucifixion of Christ, Isaiah paints the details of Christ's crucifixion. Zechariah obviously some point had listened or heard or knew about Isaiah because he basically says the exact same thing. They will look on me, the one they pierced. Later in the New Testament, when the spear is thrust into the side of Jesus at his crucifixion, these words came true. Chapter 19 of John's Gospel, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of this, his, this bone, these bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Direct fulfillment of Zechariah 13.1. Today we are reminded of what really, really, really matters. You see, baptism is a leveling ground. It's a leveling ground of sorts. To walk into that water, we all kind of stand the same at the foot of the cross in the depth of the water. It is a leavenly ground because we declare salvation is not based on status or income or position or politics or entitlement or upbringing. We declare in baptism it's based on the sacrificial love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You can't earn it. You can't manufacture it. You must receive it. The waters of baptism transport us, all of us, to the purpose of God, the nail-pierced God. And what is that purpose? Well, Stanley Howell writes this. I love Stanley Howell because he's a theologian, but he's not a pastor. He's the son of a bricklayer. So his language sometimes gets spicy. But he writes this. Jesus died on a cross to reveal the very heart of God. The cross is where God's life crosses our life to create life that's otherwise unimaginable. I've been reflecting on that statement. And I've been thinking about how the life that I live today, I could have never imagined prior to October 21st of 1981 when I gave my heart to Christ. I can't imagine that. And I, and I can't imagine that my life would be like it is today since my baptism on October 25th of 1981 in the Mediterranean Sea. So as the prophet stares at his world, he also stares into the heart of God and prophetically points to the way in which the God of all creation makes this life possible. And this is what he says. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. That word opened doesn't mean like opened one time. It means it's opened and it remains open. It means it's open continuously. It means the fountain keeps flowing. It means the access is still there. So when I come to Jesus Christ and he forgives me of my sins, the fountain's open. But as I walk this life with Jesus, as I struggle this way with Jesus, as sometimes I fail in this way with Jesus, I have good news for us. The fountain is still open. And we can turn back to him. We can continually turn to him for this cleansing that he has for us. I said this three, four weeks ago, whenever it was, when I preached out of Ezekiel 36, and that, that stony heart being made into a soft heart. The image of water washing over the heart is so refreshing. This is what God wants to do. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to make room for his life by cleaning us, cleansing us of those attitudes, those desires, those affections, those acts that pull us away from God. God's not interested in some part way here. God wants to go all the way in our lives. He wants to go all the way. He wants to get down deep. He's not satisfied with the surface level. 
with just the appearance. He wants to get down deep in us. And he wants us to remember that's what he wants. God wants to cleanse our hearts and our lives. He wants to relieve our consciences of the damage our self-will has inflicted. I asked myself this question early this morning when I was going through this. And the question was, is there anything in your conscience that needs to be cleansed? Is there anything that's hanging you up, that's hanging me up? That God in his spirit wants to cleanse? Is there, is there something that's hanging you up and letting him go to the deepest part of who you are? See, I, I read this prophet, and as you're going to see, he, he wasn't satisfied in just creating something on the surface. God wants to wash us, Hebrews 10 let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Remember what Hauerwas said, the cross is where God's life crosses our life to create life otherwise unimaginable. Can I say that I think that, especially in our world, especially in the Western church, we are really content to live at the surface. Can we just confess that today? We're really content to make this faith about us. But you know what the reality is? Baptism isn't really about these two lovely ladies. Baptism really isn't about when God baptized me, when I was baptized back in October when Reverend Joseph DiGiulio baptized me, or when you were baptized. Baptism is about God and what God wants to do and what God alone can do. But I think sometimes we forget what God has done and we live at the surface and we live at the convenience and we live at a level where we never really know the depth of the joy and the peace and the hope and the grace and every one of us needs to get in the line that says, yep, sometimes I do. But God has so much more for us. The cross is where God's life crosses our life to create life otherwise unimaginable. And so you see, baptism is the rich drama of the church that identifies a person as part of the people of God. Whether infant baptism or believer's baptism, it's public, it's dramatic, and it's clear. Baptism's acknowledgement and affirmation is the acknowledgement and application not of a faith or a belief, but of a fact. Of the life, death, and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is an affirmation of a fact. Too often we locate belief and faith in two things, mental assent and emotion. 
But what we're talking about is something deeper. It's an acknowledgement, an affirmation of the fact that Jesus Christ lived, born, lived, suffered, died, was buried. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he is going to come again to judge the living and the dead, and has poured out his Holy Spirit upon the people of God so that God can go deep, beyond the surface. Where's God for you today, for me? But you see, this water, this water, ladies, I've checked the temperature. It's good. It's going to be good. We're not going to want to get out. It's kind of good. This water invites you and me to remember that this cleansing is ongoing, continuous, a continuous flowing of the fountain of God's love for the cleansing of our sin and our guilt and our shame. That's the good news of the gospel. See what we've done? We've stripped all that other stuff away. Strip it all away. All the stuff we've crowded the Christian faith with that we think are important. But we're stripping it away because he wants to strip us away and get us to what matters. The cleansing, God's love, the cleansing of our sin, our shame, our guilt. Ongoing, 1 John 1, 7. But if we live in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin, cleanses, ongoing. It's cleansing, cleansing, cleansing. Titus chapter 3, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, Christmas. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, no matter how good you think you are, no, 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 no matter how much church or religion you have banked no matter, no, no matter how much bible you have memorized no, how, no matter how much theology you have right he saved us not because of righteous things we had done but because of his mercy grace receiving that which we do not deserve mercy not receiving that which we do he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. There it is, washing, washing, washing. Remember what God has done that's so critical. Why? Because baptism also lays claim on us that we are now different people. We are different people. We live differently as people marked by the fountain of God's cleansing. And its intention, baptism's intention, is not just for a day, but it's to be impressed upon us for a lifetime. Lizzie and Trinity, if you get anything today, it's impressed upon you for a lifetime. To 
bear witness to your baptism for a lifetime. To bear witness to our baptism for a lifetime. Again, Dr. Harwell says, baptism is our most public action. That is so because the character of baptism challenges any presumptions that might tempt Christians arrogantly to think we can separate ourselves from the world. What is he talking about? Well, Romans 6 says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, say those last words with me, we too may live a new life. Say it again. We too may live a new life. There is new life to live for those who've encountered the cleansing of God's grace. New life. No more surface level life. The prophet tries to help these ancients even see that. You see, these people had gathered. You had heard it all through the summer. You heard we talked about them being in, in, in exile in Babylon. You heard Pastor Mary talk about how they were trying to build the temple. You heard all those different things. At this point, from this prophet, they had sought to rebuild the temple. Maybe they even were coming to its completion. But they had lost something. They had lost something. Over their Babylonian years, they had lost something. They had lost their memory about God. And they had lost their memory about what it means to be the people of God. Have I lost my memory of God in my world? Have I lost what it means to be the people of God? Have I? Have you? So the prophet reminds them they are to be different. Listen closely to what he says. Verse 2, On that day I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more. Remember I said that God was not interested in just doing something at the surface level? Idols are not about externals. They look external. But idols are about what we hold the most dear in the depth of our being. And so this cleansing that he's talking about wants to get deep into where our idols are. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to restore our memory. Restore our memory about who God is. Restore our memory about what it means to be a people of God in our world. Instead of all the versions we've crowded out, we use to crowd out what it genuinely means to be the people of God in the world. What a powerful image that is. There's a different life to live, and if there was ever a day to remember your baptism, to remember my baptism, if there was ever a day for us to remember our baptisms, to live as the baptized people of God, that day is upon us. For Christian is not simply to be a label we identify with, but it's to be a reality that we live in our lives. It's up to you and me, my friends, my brothers and sisters,
Those of you who've been baptized, it's up to us to change the narrative in our world about what the church is. It's up to us. And if we don't, it won't. But it's up to you and me. The church in our world is in a perilous place, not because of some external forces. Let's not, let's not make it that easy. But because of our own internal realities. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God of the cleansing fountain that never ceases, reach down deep inside of me and cleanse me of the idols that cause me to forget you and cause me to forget the kind of person I'm to be. The New Testament Apostle Peter wrote a, a, an extensive piece that I'm going to read as we begin to wind our way down. It's a long passage, but it's worth it. So be patient as we look at these words slowly together. From 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. Five verses. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they have power to them. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say they will keep you from being ineffective or unproductive in the life you choose to live. Or the, or the world you want, or the good life. He says, these will, these, will, these will help you. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your life with Jesus. But now listen to this line. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. The dividing line between those who live out those qualities and those who do not is whether or not they remember what God has done in Jesus Christ for them. An unimaginable life, his life crosses my life creating unimaginable life. Remember your baptism. Remember the fountain of God's cleansing grace. Remember that you are loved with an indomitable love. Remember that you are called to a distinct way of life that often is not in flow with the rhythm of the world. That often doesn't gain affirmation in the public square. 
that often does not have power and should not be ceasing, seeking power. Remember your baptism. Remember my baptism. So as we baptize these precious young women today, what a joy talking to them. What a joy. The life that they shared. As we baptize them, this passage we look at today is an Old Testament foreshadowing of the work of cleansing Jesus obtained for us at the cross. As we lean into the beauty of being washed by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus, by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, may we all grasp our acceptance and our gratitude of the living water of God's forgiveness and his holiness and his love. And if we grasp that, if we remember that, it'll change the way we live. If we embrace that, we will be a different people. Remember your baptism. In a few moments, we're going to walk into that baptismal and we're going to baptize these two young women. As we baptize them, I want to invite you to imagine yourself being baptized again, going back in your memory. I'm going to try to go back in my mind to that Pentecostal missionary, Joseph DiGiulio, grabbing a hold of me, baptizing me in that freezing cold water. And then me and another Navy guy who were baptized, we're so excited we swam out to an island. And got to the island and said, now how are we going to get back? <laughs> Remember your baptism. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come. In congregation, I'm going to ask you to stand because we are going to recite together the Apostles' Creed before we are dismissed here for preparation for the baptism. Please stand. And we're going to look together as a congregation to the Apostles' Creed, this affirmation of our faith, what these women are being baptized into, what we who've been baptized have been baptized into, what is intended to form and shape our lives, to orient our lives around this, that we would be the baptized people of God in a world so desperate, desperately in need of us. Let's read together. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen?
Amen.